you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to John chapter 11. We're going to look there today. In 1927, there was an S-4 submarine that was accidentally rammed by a Coast Guard cutter and it sent it immediately to the bottom of the bay. And the entire crew was trapped. Every effort was made to rescue them, but every effort failed. And near the end of this four-day attempt to bring the men to the surface, a diver placed his helmeted ear next to the side of the vessel, and he could hear a man tapping a message in Morse code. And this is the last question that he heard. Is there any hope? You know, if there's anybody throughout history that could positively, definitively answer that question, it was Jesus. Because we know that Jesus overcame death, and so he gives hope to all of us. Not just hope that there is life after death, but hope that there is life after life. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) It means everybody needs hope. Each one of us needs to know that our life matters today. But we also need to know that there is more to this life tomorrow. To put it simply, everybody needs to know that they matter. We want to know that our life makes a difference here on earth, and hopefully somehow our life continues after this journey on earth is over. We long for significance and security. And nobody knew that better than God who created us. And that's why he sent Jesus. And Jesus made six statements that were never repeated anywhere else in Scripture. And in those statements, he'll explain to us two very crucial things, who he is and who we are to become. And these six statements are known as the I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the light of the world. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to look at this series called I Matter, and we're going to look at these six statements. Because in these sayings, we'll find our significance and our security. Because Jesus is telling us through these truths that we can find that significance and that security in him. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most famous funerals throughout history. It took place in a little village called Bethany, a funeral for a man named Lazarus. And what Jesus said and what he did forever drains death of its dread, forever empties the future of fear. And now we're not going to read the entire scripture this morning, but I want to look at three statements that kind of revolve around this story that are made by Jesus. And the first one is this. We have to expect the fact of death. See, if I can just summarize this this story for us, Jesus, in effect, has adopted the family of Lazarus and Martha and Mary as his own family. You know, whenever he would go to Jerusalem, he would always stay at their home. They were best of friends and like family. And Lazarus becomes extremely ill. And so his sisters immediately send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, he's dying, and they're expecting Jesus to say, oh, let's go, and immediately make his way back to Lazarus' house. But instead, Jesus 
doesn't. He deliberately delays going to make sure that Lazarus does indeed die. And Lazarus dies. Jesus knows this because he gives us one of the first of the three foundational statements in this scripture. John 11, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You know, that's probably going to be one of the most devastating statements you'll ever hear in life. Someone that matters to you, someone you love, someone you're close to, died. October 1st, 1994, I was a freshman in Bible college, and I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember I was sitting down in the cafeteria, and I was eating dinner with some friends, and this guy from my dorm came down, and he looked at me and said, hey, you have a message on your door. You need to call home. It's urgent. So I went up the hill to my dorm, and, and I called home, and my dad answered, and he said, hey, I'll call you back, and he hung up on me because he was talking to someone else, apparently. And then he called me right back, and he let me know that my mom had died. And see, my mom had cancer. She had been battling it for about six months, and, and we were told that she was in remission and things were going well, but, but that day, she lost the battle. And I got to tell you, that was one of the roughest days of my life. Death is tough, though, isn't it? I mean, we use all kinds of flowery terminology to help it. We say things like, oh, she's passed away. He, he expired. They've gone on to a better place. But it all means the same thing. And that day, sitting in my dorm, I remember that for the first time in my life, the, the sheer fact of death hit me like a ton of bricks. And you know, one of these days, that phrase is going to be said about you and about me. And yeah, it sounds morbid because it is morbid. It sounds a little depressing because it is, at least if death is the final step. But we as believers in Christ know it's not. And death is inevitable. The fact of death is certain. The date of our death, uncertain. And do you realize, though, that, that we as human beings are the only creatures that know we are going to die and therefore are the only creatures desperately trying to forget it? I mean, if you don't believe me, go to one of your friends and just start talking about the, the topic of dying and death and watch them hit the conversational remote button and try to change the subject faster than you can imagine. When we try to put it out of our minds. I mean, for example, did you ever think about why do we buy life insurance and not death insurance? I mean, you can't collect on it while they're living, Right? You only collect on it after the person has died. So why do we call it life insurance? But death is public enemy number one. And we do everything we can to try to avoid it. When we buckle up our seatbelts, we use the airbags, we, we sleep more, we exercise, we eat less fat and more protein, we have less caffeine and more fruits and vegetables, and we take our vitamins, and, and we do all the things that our doctors tell us we need to do. And yet we know that death one day is inevitable. Euripides, the Greek poet, said, death is the debt we all must pay. There are even people today that specialize in death. They're called thanatologists from the Greek word thanatos. Even every college and university campus offers a course or seminars on death and dying. We know it's coming. 
Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, none of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation. Psalms 89.48, no one can live forever. All will die. No one escapes the power of the grave. There was a husband and wife, and they went to the doctor. The husband had a, a routine checkup. And after all the tests were run, the doctor pulled his wife to the side, and she, he said, now, your husband is deathly ill. And unless you do the following things, he's going to die. And she says, oh, dear, what do I need to do? And he says, well, every morning, you need to make sure he gets a good, healthy breakfast served to him in bed. She says, every afternoon, make sure he comes home for lunch and you serve him a nice, hot, well-balanced meal. And make sure that night he gets a great dinner. Don't ask him to do any of the household chores at all. Keep the house spotless and clean so that he doesn't get exposed to any unnecessary germs. And the wife is furiously writing all this down, saying, yes, doctor, I understand. They get in the car and they're driving home and the husband looks at his wife and says, what did the doctor tell you? He said, oh, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, you can be young or old, rich, poor, drive a Mercedes or a Volkswagen. We don't need doctors to tell us that one day we're going to die. And one day we're going to experience the force of death. I mean, think about this story. Jesus purposely delayed going to Lazarus because he wanted him to know and everyone else to know that Lazarus was definitely dead. And he finally makes his way into Bethany and he, he first gets to meet with Martha and she is not thrilled with him at all. Here's what she says, John 11, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, words like that have echoed a million times throughout history, haven't they? Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, Lord, my, my son would not have died. If you had been here, my baby would have lived. If you had been here, my marriage would have lasted. If you had been here, if, if you had been here, and we can fill in the blanks, can't we? Do you sense the bit of aggravation and disappointment in Martha's voice? She was having this hard time understanding why Jesus didn't make it his ultimate priority to come back and to heal her brother. She was questioning his compassion. She was doubting his goodness, just like I'm sure many of us have either done or will do at some point in our lives. There was a preacher who was preaching once about God works everything out together for the good of those who love him. And, and after the service, a young man came up to him and he said, you know, you preach that message for me. And the preacher asked him what he meant by that, and he said, well, about two and a half years earlier, his two-year-old son drowned in a swimming pool. He said he had gone to a party, and all four of his kids were in the pool swimming, and there were about 12 other kids and adults in the pool, but nobody noticed this little boy go under, and he died. And the guy said, you know, even though he knew his little boy was in heaven and he understands God has a plan and a purpose for this, that story tells us there's going to come a day when God deliberately will allow death to have its way in our life and the lives of people we love. 
But as we're going to see in a moment, the presence of death does not mean the absence of God. And after hearing Martha out, Jesus makes the second of the three key statements in this chapter. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, the first time I read that, I remember thinking, that doesn't make sense. It contradicts itself. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll live even though you die. And then he says, but if you believe in me, you'll never die. So which is it? Well, if we keep in mind there are two types of death, we can understand it. Because in verse 25, Jesus is talking about our physical death, separation of the soul from the body. And in verse 26, he talks about our spiritual death, separation of the soul from God. I mean, one of these days, my body is going to die. But I'm going to live, even though my body dies. Because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I've surrendered my life to him and I know that the real me will never die. Because I know that it's impossible for anyone who has a personal relationship with Christ and has surrendered their life to him and have served him faithfully, it's impossible for them to die spiritually. What we call death occurs when your body ceases to function, but... The body dying and you dying are two different things. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See, in a moment, we're going to read firsthand about the greatest miracle Jesus performed when he rose Lazarus from the dead. And we learn why Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. Because everybody else wanted a healing. Jesus wanted a resurrection. And we need to understand that God sometimes allows what's bad for us so that he ultimately can give us what's best for us. And allows us to escape the fear of death. And Jesus talked with Martha and her sister Mary and then he asked, let's go to the tomb and see Lazarus. And they assumed he wanted to go and pay his respects. That, that's what you do. And then he got there, and he made this amazing statement. He said, remove the stone. Now, even to this day in Israel, the grave sites are carved into hillsides. The, the limestone is cut away, dirt and rock is removed, and the body is placed in this hollowed-out tomb. And then a large stone is put over the covering, over the hole, so to protect him from animals and grave robbers. And Jesus is standing there, and he says, remove the tomb, and you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, why does Jesus want to look in the graveside? Why does he want to see a mummified body? I mean, in that culture, they didn't have embalming elements so when a person died, they wrapped him up, they, they poured spices on his body, taped him up like a mummy, and put him in the this tomb as quickly as possible. Lazarus has been in there for three days now, and they know that when they move that stone, it's going to stink. And why does, why does Jesus want to do this? But Jesus prays, and then he makes the third key statement. Verse 43. 
When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And even as those words hung out in the air, (laughs) verse 44, the dead man came out, hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face, and Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man, I would have given anything to be able to be there that day. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And everyone's staring at the tomb and they just see this dark hole. Then someone nudges the person next to him. Is something moving? Is there, is, is there someone inside of there? Is something, what's going on? They saw him come out. It reminds me of these three friends. They were killed in a car wreck and immediately went to heaven and were going through orientation. And they were first asked this question. When you're in your casket and your friends and family are mourning you, what do you want to hear them say? And the first guy said, well, I'd love to hear him say that he was a great doctor and a great family man. The second guy said, well, I'd love to hear him say he was a wonderful husband, a great school teacher, that he made a difference in the lives of our students for tomorrow. And the last guy said, I think I want to hear him say, look, he's moving. Lazarus was moving because he was alive. And I know the question gets asked, why did Jesus let him die only to bring him back to life? It's because Jesus wanted to show who was in charge. Jesus had a trump card for the grave and it's called eternal life. And he bought and paid for it with his own death and resurrection. And he wanted to give us a little dress rehearsal of what's going to happen at the end of time because one day there's going to be a worldwide grave evacuation and Jesus will return and he calls all of his followers out of the grave to our own resurrection. You see, what Jesus did not only liberated Lazarus from the bonds of death, but from the fear of death. Uh, John 12, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus, putting their faith in him. I love that, because people came from miles around to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, who'd been raised from the dead. And Lazarus is sitting there and he's telling everybody, Jesus did this. Jesus brought me back to life. And the Pharisees were so angry, so upset, they were threatening to kill him again. But do you think Lazarus was really concerned about that? Do you think he was afraid of dying? I mean, they said, Lazarus, if you don't quit talking about Jesus, you're going to die. And he said, you know what? Been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. He now knew his significance and his security lay in the fact that God loves him so much he doesn't need to be afraid of death. God took care of that problem once and for all. And the very one that performed this miracle on Lazarus went to the cross and he died. And he was buried in a tomb. But three days later he rose never to die again. So really, the question I have this morning is the same one that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? 
years ago, Tiger Woods won the Masters, and at the time, he was holding the Golf Grand Slam. It was all four major titles at the same time. And he was in a press conference, and he was asked by one of the reporters, he said, if Bobby Jones, one of the greatest golfers ever in history, were to come into this room, what would you say? And Tiger Woods said, well, I would ask him how he came back. Because when I go out, I want to know how to come back. See, we have the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Because not only did he conquer death, he conquered the fear of death. So do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And have you surrendered your life to him? Or maybe you need to do that this morning. If that's the decision you need to make, I invite you to come. 